All right, family of God, let's all pull in together. Keep walking through the book of Galatians together. Man, it's so good to see everyone this morning. Let me just take you in. I just need to see the people of God and see your beautiful, smiling faces. Even if you're not smiling, your faces are beautiful this morning. I need to give a little shout out to my girl, Kanita, real quick. I saw this woman at a TCA uh, back to school orientation and girl, you crushed it. I was just swelling with pride back there. I don't know if you saw me, but I was beaming. So proud of you. She sits on the board for TCA and you are a powerhouse. And I've been meaning all week to call you and let you know, but here, here, I'm letting you know right now. Okay, well guys, welcome to the house of the Lord this morning. I mean, honestly, if we just went home right now, it'd be, it'd be a good morning. But we're not going home right now. I got must preach. I have to. I got, I got a fire burning in my bones this morning. I had a buddy of mine a couple of days ago post this. He said, hey, guys, it's, it's exactly four months till Christmas. So you're welcome. And a whole new wave of anxiety just... I'm like, four months till Christmas. Can you believe that? Cannot believe that. It's crazy. I digress. Anyways, yes, what's the matter? Oh, okay. Thank you. All right. She keeps me on track. All right. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Everybody give it up for, for Martha. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to do something a little bit different to start off with. Uh, Lauren, if you could put Psalm... 25. We're going to begin in verse 1, Psalm 25. And this has absolutely nothing to do with the message this morning. By the way, um, my name's Jay Duncan. And uh, for all of you guys who might be joining us today live or online, welcome to Midtown's 9 a.m. service. We greet you and we welcome you. May the grace and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you today. Amen. Thanks for joining us. So, you know, it dawned on me that a lot of us, we all, we worship the Lord in different ways. So some of us, your jam is just to sit down underneath uh, worship music and either participate in singing or just to sit there and let the songs kind of wash over you. Some of you, not so much. Some of you guys like to take a walk out in nature and you just behold the wonder and the glory of God. And there's just real powerful worship encounters. Some of you actually worship the Lord through reading the Bible. Who, who are those people? I'm just curious. How many of you, like, you're reading the scriptures, and it's just, man, it's just worship. Not just, let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. That's beautiful. I love that. Well, this is for you. This is with you in mind this morning. I want to just read the scriptures over you. I'm not going to read the entirety of Psalm 25. It's, 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 it's a little lengthy. I mean, it's 22 verses. But I want to read probably about the first 12 verses, and I might cherry pick a couple other ones. But however you engage with this, so some of you, you might look at the words on the screen, and as I'm reading, you'll read those words. Some of you might close your eyes, some of you might open your hands, but let's just kind of consider this an extension of, of worship, and let your hearts and your imagination and your mind be lifted to the Lord, and let the word of the Lord today speak to you, and form you, and strengthen you. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. I trust in you. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame, but shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. 
Show me your ways, Lord, and teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me. For you are God my Savior, and my hope is in you all day long. Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right, and he teaches them his way. For all of the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful towards those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways that they should choose. Look at verse 14. The Lord confides. There's another translation that says he shares his secrets. He confides in those who fear him and he makes his covenant known to them. Wouldn't it be amazing if the Lord just pulled you aside and whispered some secrets in your ear and said, hey, I got a secret to tell you. And he just shared insights and truths of the word of the Lord and of his counsel and his character and his nature. Like, I, I want to know the Lord like that. Anybody else? Like, I want to share that level of intimate friendship with the Lord. I see you. I see you. Let it be, man. Let it be. I love that. I want, to, I want to walk in friendship with the Lord so much that he shares the secrets of his heart with me. And I want that for you. So let me pray today for you before we jump in deeper into the book of Galatians. Oh God, today, may your spirit bring strength and grace to every single one of my brothers and sisters and all of those today, Father, who might be joining us for the first time, whose hearts are on journey, whose hearts are on pilgrimage, whose hearts are seeking and searching. God, I pray today, Holy Spirit, meet with every single one of us. Encounter us, I pray, afresh and anew. Holy Spirit, reveal Jesus to us today, afresh and anew. And in this space where the church, the living God, has gathered, we deem this moment as sacred and we deem it as holy and we say it belongs to you. We consecrate this time to you. Holy Spirit, would you speak in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Well, turn with me to the book of Galatians chapter 1. We're going to continue our, our journey in this amazing book. And I'm going to ask, now that I've prayed for you, I'm going to ask that you guys would pray for me through the entirety of this sermon. <laughs> this sermon is, it's a little challenging, if I'm going to be honest with you. And it's challenging for a number of reasons. It's challenging because what we're going to talk about today, I think every single human being has a proclivity or a propensity. We have a tendency to kind of slip into and fall into what Paul is addressing in the book of Galatians. So I don't think there's one person who might walk out of here and go, oh, that really wasn't for me. I think all of us have a tendency to slip into this. And I feel like I'm chief of all uh, in a lot of ways. So this isn't a message that I've perfected. It's not a message that, um, that I can say, yeah, I've, I've arrived there. It's something that I'm definitely 
wrestling with and struggling through in my life today. And we're going to hit a number of different issues. Uh, I'm going to frame these kind of from the context of my own story. But as you hear these different examples, you might find your mind drifting over to your own life, or you might find your mind drifting over to examples of other people that you've interacted with that may have put a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. And today, I'm just praying that the grace and the peace of the Lord would just be upon every single one of us as we dive into this. So let's begin here in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. Now that I've set that table, everyone's like, my goodness, what are we going to be partaking of today? This is Paul. I am astonished. Listen to the language. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting or turning your back on or abandoning or rejecting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. Notice He's not saying, I'm so astonished that you've rejected good doctrine. I'm so astonished that you're turning your back on the tenets of this gospel. He is saying, I'm astonished that you are deserting God himself. That you're turning your back on the very one who called you, who revealed himself to you as good and gracious and as father. Verse 7 Which is, listen, what you're turning to is really, it's no gospel at all. You're making this gospel. You're you're carrying this and you're sharing this and you're living this out as if this were gospel, as if it were good news, as if it were truth. But this is, in fact, no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and they are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. So Paul is now wrapping himself into the people that he is about to address in the entirety of this letter. And he's saying, guys, I'm not exempt from this. Now, you guys have heard messages and you have heard this this approach to the way that you are to live out your faith in God. And it's coming from people that are convincing, they're charismatic, they're compelling. It's throwing you into confusion. You started your race off in God in one direction, and then you, you, you came across certain podcasts, you came across teachers, you, you're watching YouTube videos every other day, you're, you're, you're reading all these different little pamphlets, and you're going, no, I'm, I'm a little confused because this is so compelling, but it doesn't line up with how I started this. And, and Paul is saying, Guys, listen, even if me, the one who introduced you to life in God, should start turning you away from the gospel truth that I preach to you, he says, listen, a bit like, don't follow me anymore. Whether it be me, whether it be an angel or anyone else. But let them be under God's curse. That is strong language. Like, we should really feel the tone of of the entire letter here. Verse 9, and he repeats it. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God, or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God and Holy Spirit. Help us today as we try to make sense of this. Obviously, there's a lot that's going on here that at first glance you would go, there, there's, there's like a backstory here that I'm not sure I'm catching. 
And part of the backstory is my assignment today, but my bigger assignment is to bridge the gap between the backstory of what's happening in Paul's time and for us to see how each and every one of us actually are, are complicit or we participate in these same things. So if you recall last week, we introduced the fact that Paul is not speaking to enemies of Christ. He's not speaking to um, what we might call like the, the false brothers, he is speaking to people that have accepted Jesus as Messiah. And some versions, you'll see that he mentions a group called the Judaizers. And when you hear Judaizers, I want you to hear Jewish Christians. So people who have grown up in the religion of Judaism, people who identify socially as Jewish people, and people who have come to Christ. They have confessed their sins. They have received the grace and the goodness of the gospel communicated and revealed in Jesus. They've, they've, they've received Jesus into their heart. And now they're trying to walk out Christianity, which they consider kind of a, a sect or a, a, a segment of religion underneath the overarching banner of, of Judaism. And, and essentially how they're communicating this is Jesus is good, Jesus is Messiah, and in order or, or to live out your Christian life faithfully, you must live it out as a Jew. And the mindset very simply was God's special people were the Jews, the people that God called and chose and accepted were the Jews. And the way that God separated or identified this people were by certain Jewish laws. Some of these laws involved the kind of food that they ate. If you might recall, for those of you guys who are familiar with the book of Acts, we, we spent several weeks in Acts chapter 10 last year. And in Acts chapter 10... Peter, who is a diehard Jew, he's up spending a little bit of a prayer time with the Lord, and he's thrown into this trance and this vision. And in this vision, there's this massive curtain, the sheet that comes down from heaven, and it has all these different animals on there. And particularly, there are animals that for thousands of years, his people were not allowed to eat. Bacon. Right? It's just sad. <laughs> I mean, I mean, like, listen, I think one of the most glorious things about liberty in Christ is bacon, all right? But that's, I mean, y'all can tweet that if y'all want to, like, <laughs> pig's feet. I mean, like, we can go on and on with all this. Anyway, so Peter is here, and he has this vision, and, and all of these different animals that are coming down, and the Lord is like, hey, enjoy, enjoy. Man, get up and partake, eat. And Peter's like, absolutely not. This is not kosher. This is not clean. This is not acceptable. To be a Jew is to not eat those things. Why? Because those nations that eat those things are considered unclean, idol-worshiping pagans. So one of the ways that we make sure that we distinguish ourselves from those idol-worshiping, demon-worshiping pagan people is that we don't eat those things that you eat. Are you guys tracking with me, right? Then there were certain calendar days, right? So when the people of Israel came out of 
Egyptian bondage for 400 years. Imagine for 400 years. You've got no tradition. You've got no identity. You have, you have no, no rhythms. You have no sacred holidays. And God pulls you out of this, and he begins to establish a rhythm. You know, we're formed by the things that we do on a regular basis, right? I grew up as an only child. My parents were, my dad was in the military. We bounced around all over the place. I've lived here in Colorado Springs now. My, my wife's parents and her sister with their five kids live here in town. And Thanksgivings and Christmas for the Duncan Swank Morales household look radically different than they did for my household growing up, just the three of us hanging out in, you know, in Germany. So much so that when Christy and I do our you know, family calendar and we're like, hey, maybe it'd be fun if we you know, went on a cruise or we you know, traveled up into the mountains for Thanksgiving. It's like, what are we thinking? Like, this is sacred. We, we get together with B and Poppy and the Swanks and whoever else, we, because this right here is something that shapes us. It identifies us. And in the same way, the people of Israel, the Jewish people, they had special calendar days that revolved around feasts and you know, in these seasons, we're going to cut food away. And in these seasons, we're going to have big parties. And, and in so doing, God was establishing them as a people. It was one of their laws, one of their social laws. Another social law was the Sabbath. As a people, as a Jewish people, we don't work on this day because God has established that this is the day that the Lord has rested from all of his work. And if you are my people, then you cease from your work too. And then there's this little thing for all the guys, right? And we'll just keep moving on. If you don't get that, ask your parents, okay? So there is this thing called circumcision. So when God called Abraham and then Abraham began having children, God said, listen, one of the ways we're going to mark my promise with you, my agreement with you, my covenant with you, I'm going to mark this covenant in your very body. In the tender places of your physical body, I'm going to mark you as my people. And this got handed down. I mean, guys, generation after generation after generation, young boys would be circumcised. And this was one of the ways they identified themselves as Jews. Now, here's, those are all good. There's nothing wrong. I want, I want to make sure that we follow the train of thought here. All of those incredible things that God established to identify those people as a people socially... And as his people religiously, are you seeing the difference? Okay, so I'm going to give you social laws to help establish a national identity, Jews. I'm also going to give you religious laws to help establish you as my people under the religion of Judaism. Now, as life began to progress, those laws became very, very intertwined so that to be a Jew was to be a follower of Judaism. Are you, are you still tracking with me? Right. Okay. So, and that's good. And it preserved those people and it prepared them for the coming of the Messiah to a degree. I mean, there are a lot of people that were so fixed and they were so fixated on being Jews and on the, on the covenant of Judaism that they actually missed the Messiah. But for those who came to faith in Christ, man, what a rich and beautiful history. The traditions of the fathers and the ancestors prepared them for the coming of the Messiah. So we can't look back and go, all of those things are bad. Those were wrong. The defining distinction that I want to make sure we understand here is that a new age began with Jesus. If you remember last week, 
There is this incredible verse in Galatians chapter 1. Look with me again at verse 4. Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. What is the present evil age? Well, according to a number of commentators and the context of what Paul is writing here, the present evil age is the age of the law. It's the age where we are obedient to the law to separate us as the people of God so that we'll be accepted by God. It's this, it's this age of strict adherence and obedience to social and religious laws. And when Jesus comes on the scene, Paul is announcing part of gospel liberation is that you are no longer under that age. So much so that he actually defines this age as an evil age. And it's an age of going back into slavery. He defines like where there was a season of life where the law served a really good purpose. Now that Christ has come, that season is now a season of slavery. To go back under strict adherence to religious and social law would be going back into, would be going into a season of bondage. All right, let's just, let's just keep walking here together. So what does, this, what does this look like today? I want to be clear here that a lot, of, a lot of people have read Galatians over the years, particularly from Martin Luther and beyond, through the eyes that Paul is saying he's addressing people who are kind of adopting a, a works righteousness. Now, what is a works righteousness? A works righteousness is the idea that we have to work our way into salvation. We have to earn our salvation. That is not what Paul's talking about. Because it's kind of easy to dismiss that, right? We all know that we're grace people. We're evangelical people. We're Bible-believing people. We're saved by grace and grace alone. We know that you cannot earn your salvation. Isn't that right, everybody? If you don't know that, let me just tell you right now, there's nothing you can do to earn your salvation. It's been given by the free gift of God alone. So Paul's not addressing this idea that, that you have to work for your salvation. Here's what he's addressing. He's addressing how now that we have been saved, do we live out the Christian life? How do we live this life of liberty? And this requires maturity. Because if you're anything like me, I, I like to control everything. <laughs> I like to control my life in God. I like to know where all the boundaries are. I like to control my kids' life in God. I like to control your life in God. I just like to control everything. And we all have this propensity to control. So when I grew up, I grew up, my mom is full-blooded Korean. And there's some amazing, beautiful things that I've inherited as a result of my mom's passion and zeal for God. I learned how to pray. My mom, in the Korean culture, they wake up anywhere from 4 or 5 a.m. every day. And they have prayer meetings as a church every day. Part of their rhythm is Friday night prayer. And Friday night prayer is not 7 to 8. Friday night prayer is 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. every week. I grew up falling asleep under pews, hearing the voice 
of a hundred Korean ladies crying out to God throughout the entire night. That's my heritage. It's amazing. It's passionate. Okay. I, I grew up the first of every calendar year. We fasted. No, you don't, we, this is what we do. That's what Christians do. They fast. We're fasting. Okay. I, okay. I, I guess I'm going to fast. Right. Reading the Bible. Like as soon as I came of age, of a certain age, it was, Jade, you're going to read the Bible and you're going to pray. Well, I don't, what am I reading? I don't understand it. Who am I praying to? It doesn't matter. Like you're reading the Bible and you're going to pray, period. That's what, that's what Christians do. And, and perhaps the, the, the larger message was, once my mom caught this revelation from God that not only was I going to be a Christian, but she heard bef- well before I did that I was going to be a pastor, then everything was, this is what Christians don't do. And this is what pastors don't do. And this is what Christians don't do. And this is what pastors don't do. And so much so that living up, I was like, well, if, this is, if Christians can't do any of this, then by God, I don't want to be a Christian. And I sure don't want to be a pastor. <laughs> you know, I, I, I graduated from high school. I went to Oral Roberts University, Bible Belt of, of the nation, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and at OU, everyone signs an honor code. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's good. It, it serves its purpose. It's the law, right? So guys have to wear a tie everywhere. Anywhere you go on campus, guys have to wear a tie. Back in those days, women had to wear skirts and dresses. You guys are thinking, my God, what, what age did you, go, did you come from? And that's just 20 years ago, right? We had curfews. And, and more importantly, for the sake of what I'm preaching here today, we, we signed an honor code that, you know, we wouldn't, we wouldn't drink and we wouldn't smoke. And I just, I just carried that into my Christian life. And it became a defining marker point of my Christian life. Like Christians don't drink. Christians don't smoke. They don't smoke anything. They don't vape, no cigars, no pipes. Like this is wrong. This is, this is wrong. And I just, I carried that mindset. And then I became a youth pastor and it just, it just got easier and easier. I was like, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm leading young people. So clearly I shouldn't drink or I shouldn't smoke because I'm an example to them. And then I became a senior pastor. And I'm dealing with adults who, who enjoy wine, who might drink, you know, a nice cold beer after a hot day of work. Who, and I just remember I, I had to, there were some adjustments that the Lord had to do inside of me. Because what happens is when we start creating these, these, these boundaries and these traditions and these, these laws, right, that, that, we, that we utilize and we exercise to walk out our Christian faith. I think in our maturity process, they begins by saying, anybody who does this is wrong, right? And then as we, as we mature a little bit, it moves, it graduates from, okay, maybe you're not wrong, but I'm right. Are you, are you, are you, you, you see the subtle slip, right? But you're not wrong, but I'm just better, Okay, I, I, I know how to walk out the Christian life. I know how to live this life in the way that really honors and blesses God. When I was a youth pastor in Tulsa, I discovered something for the first time in my life that I had never knew even existed. It was something called homeschool. Never knew, I never knew, I never knew, I never knew there was a thing. You mean to tell me, I, I remember saying that, I remember having conversations with these kids and I remember saying you mean to tell me that you don't wake up at 6.30 in the morning and pack your lunch and, and, you know, get your books ready and you don't walk to school two miles every day like I did, right? I was like, you mean to tell me that you can just sleep in whenever you want? And they're like, yep, like, absolutely. 
You mean it's something that you sit in your room all day long? I mean, I mean, like at Tulsa, that these these were what was going on with these particular kids. I was like, you got to help me understand this. And your computer's teaching you? Like, yep, that's that's how we do it. And I remember, I added to my Christianity. I remember, I remember just explicitly adding to my Christianity. Jesus plus education. I remember thinking, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is, this is disservice to these kids. We're, we're maladjusting these kids and they're not living out their Christian mission. And I mean, I was on a crusade that every kid should be in a public school. Cause that was my experience. I was in a public school and I learned how to stand up and you know, share the gospel with, I mean, I started Bible clubs on campus. I was witnessing to my basketball team. I was like, this is the way that you're supposed to live out your education. Then I moved here and I'll never forget. I sat down. There's this, there was this very, very strong personality father who had one daughter. She was in our youth ministry at the time. She'd been homeschooled from the time that she started school. And he pulled me aside and for two hours proceeded to strongly convince me that the only way to educate your children is through homeschool. This is the only way. And in fact, to faithfully be a Christian, you have to homeschool your children or you are not being faithful. And this was, this was very disorienting. I remember moving here, the church that we kind of grew up in here over the past 17 years had some components of their of our church culture and ideology that were very foreign to me. We were, we were deep in the waters of the prophetic. And there are things about that that are amazing, that are incredible. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I learned how to, how to listen to the voice of the Spirit in everything that we do in our service. I think some of the good elements of that have shaped us. Um, there was a very strong bend towards spiritual warfare like if, if, if something is happening in the city, man, we rally together and do, we rebuke that and we bind that and we curse that and we cast that out in the name of Jesus. And, and everything was in this very strong fighting motif. We were fighting for our president. We were fighting against, you know, the, 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 the cultural forces that be. And I just jumped in. I was like, okay, well, this is what the current is. Like, teach me. And I'm going to, I'll scream on the microphone. I mean, I'll roar like a lion. If I mean, whatever we need to do, like, let's go. And the mantra was Jesus plus warfare. Like if you're gonna be a real Christian, like if you're gonna really live out your Christian life faithfully, I mean, it's good. Like there's kind of like baseline stuff, all of those cute little churches that are around here, but, but like we're really living out the faithful Christian life. Why? Because, because we're prophesying, right? Because, because we, we, we cast out devils because we have power and we have authority. And so this is the way to live out your Christianity. Anybody tracking with me? When I got filled with the Holy Spirit, it was such a monumental experience in my life and it, it literally changed everything. And thankfully, I never went so far. I just knew from the scriptures, this is why the scriptures are so important, guys. They are the, the plumb line and they're the foundation. This, this is why getting in the word matters. And I just knew when people would say, listen, if you don't pray in tongues, you're not saved. And I was like, there is nowhere in my Bible that says that. That's the, far, that's the far extreme. But there are some people that have adopted this extreme notion that, hey, it's good that you have Jesus. That's cute. But, but it's Jesus plus tongues. 
right? It's Jesus plus gifts. It's Jesus plus prophecy, plus healing, plus words of wisdom, words of knowledge. And I know, well, that's not true. The Bible doesn't say that we have to pray in tongues to be saved. But yet, somehow, someway in the water of this Jesus plus charismatic Christianity, I did go, well, you guys aren't really living like you, 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 you should be. You're still going to get to heaven, and that's good. But like to like really faithfully live out the real Christian life, you've got to be filled with the Spirit. I, I mean, I don't espouse it anymore. I'm going somewhere with all of this. I hope you guys are, are catching and seeing some patterns here. So I, I think another thing that we've done in our culture, and man, if we had a massive small group, you guys could probably, you know, we could probably fill whiteboards with this kind of stuff, right? Jesus plus hyper-masculinity. I was sitting in a room full of pastors a couple of years ago and there was a guy and he was just railing, I mean, just railing on church culture. And I remember him saying this, he goes, you know, we, we've, we've got to draw a line and you know, we've we got to make sure those worship leaders don't wear skinny jeans. That, that's the problem with everything. These doggone skinny jeans and these worship leaders, they don't know how to work with their hands anymore. And it's Jesus plus hyper-masculinity. And I remember I just, I just let him, you know, finish his rant. And I said, I said you know, I apologize, but nowhere in the scriptures does, does, does skinny jeans or baggy jeans, like, I mean, your, your, your notion of cultural masculinity have nothing to do with whether or not you are faithfully following Jesus. In fact, I mean, I could be wrong, sir, but the last I've found that the cruciform life, like to be like Jesus, the, 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 the epitome of masculinity is to lay our life down. And you can do that with baggy jeans or skinny jeans, pal. <laughs> That's what, it's Jesus, period. Last week, our, our kind of message title was, G, the gospel is grace and peace. Today, our title is, The Gospel is Jesus Alone. It's not Jesus plus our view on education. It's not Jesus plus our view on the gifts. It's not Jesus plus our dietary laws. I remember when we first moved here, there was this, there was this kind of national prayer movement that our church was deeply, deeply involved with. I mean, like... Every other 40 days, we were on a fasting assignment. And there was this, this mantra. It was called the Nazarite generation. And kind of the epitome of what it meant to be a Christian in the church that we were in, and then consequently in the youth group that I was, that I was called to lead was, we want every kid jumping up and down and, and, and passionately, we want them crying out to God, like that is the bull, like Christianity is Jesus plus passion. Jesus plus Nazarite purity. We want every single one of the kids here never dating until, until they get married. And <laughs> I, okay, all right. And, 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 and we, would, we would take on these massive social causes big, massive social causes. And we would go on 40-day fasts. We would put tape over our mouths. And it was just Jesus plus radical, passionate expression. That's what, that's what it was to be a Christian. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? Now, listen, 
I've got to be very careful here because I'm not trying to be snarky. I'm not trying to be sarcastic. I'm not trying to be ugly. But what I do want to really showcase for us is, and guys, listen, I was, I was all in. Part of that's my personality. And part of that's just immaturity. And part of that's not really recognizing that the gospel of Jesus Christ is Jesus alone. Now, what I'm not saying, and it'd be very, it'd be very easy to say, oh, you're, you're telling me that we can just live in moral relativism. You're just telling me that we can accept Jesus and then choose how to live however, that, however we want. I'm not saying that. I am saying that we have to be careful what we turn into the gospel of Jesus. If it's not grace be to you, and the peace, the shalom of God that has been made available to you by the undeserved kindness of God, it's not the gospel. If there's anything that we're adding to and saying, well, to really be a Christian is to, fill whatever it is that we fill that in that blank with, you got to start paying attention. Because we're in the danger zone of creating another kind of gospel that essentially turns into a works-oriented type of Christianity. And if, and, if, and if every single one of us were honest, a lot of us have walked this out or we have sat under this and it has jacked our lives up. Like we don't understand grace. Jesus is no longer central. The Holy Spirit is not crucial. We don't know how to listen to the inward witness and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because it's easier to rest on external laws. For the Jewish people, it was, it was easy. Okay, listen, we'll, we, we won't work on the Sabbath. You know, let's get the circumcisions thing done easy, young, while they, while they don't remember it. <laughs> and, and, and we, you know, we, we'll do without bacon fine, and, and we're good, and we're accepted. To be Jew means that we're accepted. And Paul is like kicking against this. So much so that if we connect the dots, we can say, oh, listen, like if we just, if we just educate our kids this way, then we're good with God, right? If we just have hyper-masculinity in our churches, you know, we're good with God. We're good with God. If we follow the right liturgy, I mean, as long as, hey, dude, hey, whatever you do, it's Jesus plus communion, just make sure that at the end, you're just saying the body and the blood of Christ and you're good. Or, hey, listen, let's get real honest. For some churches, it's Jesus and your version of the Bible. Any King James only people? Don't raise your hands. Don't raise your hands. Okay. I mean, we laugh, but there's, there, there are segments of the body of Christ that literally believe, literally believe. If you're not reading the King James Bible, you're not reading the authorized Transla the, the translation that descended from the heavens for humanity. We can't, I don't understand half the words in there. Nobody in modern English contemporary culture understands half the words. But you got to read the authorized, there's no yees and thous and it's, it's not God. And now it's kind of morphed into the ESV or the, I'll never forget, I was discipling this young guy, a young, eager Christian and grew up broken, broken home, and I was discipling him in the scriptures, and then he was, he was in the army, so he ended up having to move. And when he moved, he got into a church that, you know, they started getting into his life, and they're like, what are you doing with that NIV Bible? 
And he said, well, you know, when I got saved, the pastor who was discipling me, and they said, that's the wrong Bible. That's, that's, called a, that's called a dynamic translation. And a dynamic translation means that you're just communicating the idea, but it's not the word-for-word literal translation, which means that there is so much room and latitude for them to put whatever they want in there. And he's like, oh, my God, he just felt so violated. And I remember him calling me one time, and he says, listen, when I come back, I've got a bone to pick with you. I mean, he was just, he was confused. Like, and he goes, and when I get back, we're going to settle this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he was vehement. He was angry. He was opposed. It was like, it was like Paul was saying, he's like, who cut in on you? You were growing as a son in God. You were receiving and understanding grace. There was joy in your life. You were kind to your wife. And then someone cut in and said, you're reading the wrong Bible, pal. You need to be reading the New American Standard Bible. And if you're not reading the word-for-word little translation, you are not a Christian. And his whole life, marriage is wrecked, no longer married to his wife anymore, pompous, arrogant, and I don't even know if the guy's walking with Jesus anymore. And this is, this is atrocious. And we should grieve and we should lament these kinds of things. But I'm telling you, 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 whatever your pet issue is, for some of it, it's Jesus in America. So much so that we, we wrap in, guys, listen, my dad was in the military. I grew up as a kid where the majority of the time that I lived was without my father. I love this nation. Last night, we went to the Switchbacks game. I'm standing up, my hands over my heart. I, I love this nation. I'm proud of uh, most of what has happened in this nation. But for me to be an American does not mean that I'm a Christian. And I could, I could celebrate every holiday in this nation. I could, put, I could put flags up everywhere, and it doesn't mean I'm right with God. Very quickly, let me just... Let me just in a nutshell, there are beautiful things about zeal. Like, there are beautiful things about the intensity and the passion. And I think in certain seasons of our life, we need that. In certain seasons of our formation and our development, we need to be maybe a little extreme. You know, when I'm trying to train my kids in certain things, sometimes we tilt a little bit, right? Like when we're trying to curb our appetite for sugar, what we'll do is we'll say, okay, listen, man, we're going we're gonna to cut this out completely for, for Monday through Thursday. And then, you know, we'll, we'll open up, relax a little bit on the weekend. Some people might go, that's extreme. Okay, that's fine. But, but I'm, I'm incorporating some maybe zealous approaches, but they serve a season and they serve a purpose. Now, if, if my kids don't grow, if they don't mature into a place where they can self-govern their appetite, I have failed. Are you guys hearing me? So much so that, you know, they're in their 20s and 30s and their 40s, and they're like, I don't got, Dad, what can I eat? Well, you know, there's, there's an apple pie here, and I don't know if I can have it, because what day of the week is it? Is I know, No, listen, the spirit of the law, which is what Galatians is all about, is that you mature to a place of self-government by the leadership of the spirit and you walk in wisdom to make wise choices, but we don't want to do that as churches. We want to tell, we want to keep people in the zone of zeal beyond its season of development. And here, here's what's dangerous. Let me show you what's dangerous. Let me just take you to two things that Paul said, and I'm, I'm running way out of time. Galatians chapter one, look with me. Let's look right here at verse 13. 
We're gonna read verse 13. We're gonna go to Acts chapter 26. You have to hear what Paul says in Acts 26. Galatians 1.13, for you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How, look at this, intensely, you can't miss that. The problem with Jesus plus is that we pursue our issue more intensely than we pursue Jesus. And when we are zealous for our Jesus plus, it will always lead to persecution. Because if you're not with me in my issue, you are against me. And we justify it with God language. God has commissioned me for this. Every single person on the planet has to live their Christian life out this way. And God has ordained this. Guys, that is dangerous territory. There are absolutes in the scripture. I'm talking about these gray zones of how we live our faith out. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and I tried to destroy it. Look at verse 14. I was advancing. See, when we, when we have Jesus plus, it's all about advancement. How smart am I? Am I an expert? How can I, how, how can I annihilate anybody who doesn't agree the way that I agree? It is, it is bolstered and built up with pride, right? And it's, here, it's attractive because there's advancements in every one of these issues that create a caste system in Christianity to where I am elite and you, you'll get there someday. Bless your heart. But if you don't agree with me, you better watch out because you're gonna end up being my enemy. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age and with my people and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Guys, hear me. I think that every single one of these things, they all have their place. And I think that there are good, and I think that there are ways to live our faith and freedom out in God. But when we marry our, when we make those issues central to where Jesus is orbiting out here in the peripheral, and this is what it means to live the Christian faith, we have perverted the gospel. Acts chapter 26, very quickly just to like, you know, go ahead and annihilate this horse while it's laying on the ground, you know. Let's just, let's just, let's just put the final stake in this guy. Acts chapter 26, verse 9. This is Paul, and he's recounting his life. And you'll see this all throughout the New Testament. Paul is so aware. We're talking about Paul and his zeal for the Jewish religion. And then when Jesus radically meets him, everything was disrupted. In verse 9 of Acts 26, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus. And that is just what I did. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Guys, listen. Your, your Jesus plus issue in the wrong spirit leads to death. Maybe not physical death. It leads to death of relationships, death of intimacy, death of, death of credibility, death of trust, death of joy. It will lead to death. 
But look at this verse right here in verse 11. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. Here it is. I was so obsessed. That's the word I want you to hear. Because whenever we move Jesus out of the center and we put something else into the center, it leads to obsession. And this is one of, this is one of the things that we're seeing in our culture today. Whatever your issue is, you just ask yourself, is Jesus at the center of this or is this issue at the center of everything in my life? Because when that is your center, you are following a false and perverted gospel. Let's stand to our feet this morning and cry for mercy. I think your prayers worked. I felt a little bit of help somewhere in the middle of that sermon, you guys. We're going to keep unpacking this. Guys, these are, this is not easy. Maturity is not easy. And, and, and I don't want any of us walking away feeling condemned right? Part of the the process of development is, man, I tilted a little too far there. Bring it back to Jesus. Grace and peace. Grace and peace belong to us when we find ourselves in in our sincere and eager hunger to live faithfully for God. All of the things I mentioned to you guys, from being the alcohol Nazi to being the smoke police to being the, you know, guy who's screaming on microphones to being the, all, all of that was out of a sincere desire to follow God. And thankfully, I can look back and go, man, I recognize that that's not gospel. They're beautiful additions in their right place to help me live the Christian life. But those things in and of themselves are not the Christian life. All right, would you just open up your hands like this before we come to the table? Holy Spirit of the living God, we ask today, that anything that was absolutely irrelevant or unnecessary that was not from you, that came through these clay lips, God, we just pray that you would just, just let them fall to the ground. But what the spirit of the Lord is speaking to every one of us, oh God, we pray that it would come with the spirit of love and a spirit of life that comforts and also convicts to bring us into living relationship with Jesus. Friends, let's come to the table and we will receive together. The gospel is Jesus alone. The gospel says to us that Jesus is enough. The gospel says that any time that we add to Jesus, we are absolutely subtracting from Jesus. Today, oh God, we cry mercy. 
We ask for the light and the illumination and the truth of the Holy Spirit to make Jesus central and the Holy Spirit crucial. Today, we just remind ourselves and we affirm ourselves of this truth. We cannot live this life without making Jesus central and Holy Spirit crucial. So Holy Spirit, today, lead us, we pray, into all truth. The night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. He says, this is my body. Let's break that piece of bread. Friends, the body of Jesus Christ himself, the son of God, broken for you. Let us receive. And then he took the cup and he says, the cup of the new covenant, the covenant of freedom and liberation, the covenant of life, the covenant of relationship, not based on what you have done, but based on what I have done and we continue to do for you. Receive today, let us drink of the cup. For the sake of time, I'm gonna just bless you guys and send you out. For those of you who are freaking out that we're not singing the doxology, go back and listen to my message. (laughs) It's not Jesus plus the doxology. Lord, in the name of Jesus. Oh God, I just, I just commission our friends today to go into the world in a spirit of peace. Father, to hold, to hold you at the center of all that we are and all that we do. And Father, I pray today, right now, for those that are tired, those that are weary, those that are, those that are anxious, those that maybe don't even wanna step out of these doors because this is such a, a sanctuary of peace. God, I pray today, anoint us afresh. And I just want to say this today as as your friend, as your pastor, and also as just even a representative from the Lord. You've got this. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. And you're going to make it. You're going to be all right. And you're you're doing a better job than you know. So may grace and peace be with you, my friends. Amen.